Recently, I wrote an article on Molinism, and this has evoked many questions as to what Molinism is. We're going to seek to answer four of the most asked questions about Molinism on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while entering into the arena of ideas, uh, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the time that we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com, and uh, we do encourage you to go uh, check out the website, and while you're there, subscribe. You also can catch this podcast on several different apps, including iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. Uh, normally, I uh, just don't uh, want to give many announcements as the outset of the uh, podcast because I try to dig right into the topic at hand. But just want to let you know about a couple of things going on over at the website. Uh, added a lot of new features here lately. One of which is we've recently added a page uh, that lists the archives of uh, Bellator Christie, the Bellator Christie podcast. I noticed on some of the apps uh, that were out there that uh, that they only go back so far. So this archive page on the Bellator Christie on BellatorChristie.com will actually have all of the podcasts that are available on the website that have been produced since uh, having this new um, means of uh, podcasting. So you can go back all the way to January of 2017. Also, if you'll notice that uh, yes. Yesterday, we posted our our first ever podcast, uh, a flashback podcast, where we are in the uh, we are going to an attempt at archiving all of these podcasts together on one page. I'm going to go back uh, from time to time and um, record and, and republish some of the greatest uh, podcasts that we had, some of the best podcasts that we had while on Blog Talk Radio. So you can check that out also at that page. Uh, it's I think it's called something like Bellator Christie Archive uh, MP3 page or something like that. So go by. You can see it on the homepage. Uh, go by check it out as well. Also, we're, we have a new page developed for Molinism, and I recently uh, wrote an article about uh, about Molinism, and so um, and, and there's and there's a reason for this. Um, I have struggled for many years trying to figure out how we solve this issue uh, of divine sovereignty and human freedom, because the Bible clearly teaches both. Any system that uh, holds to divine sovereignty without human freedom or that holds to human freedom without divine sovereignty is, I believe, outside the parameters of Scripture. And so normally in ministry, in theology, I'm often asked the question, are you a Calvinist or are, are you an, an Arminian? And I usually give the answer, neither. 
And they said, what? You know, how can you be neither? You have to be one or the other. And that's just simply not the case. Uh, for, because there are some paradigms out there that do not fit necessarily in Calvinism or Arminianism. And Molinism is one of uh, those systems. Uh, Thomism would be another, um, and there are variants that you can find of these two systems out there. Uh, but Molinism is a, is a, um, is a, is a version, uh, is a theological system that I have, uh, to, to which I have been really attracted. I have uh, found it to answer many of the uh, questions that I have had pertaining to this issue. So, as I have um, had questions that have been answered by this system, uh, many people have asked certain questions pertaining to Molinism. And I want to cover five of the most asked questions that I have uh, received uh, since publishing the article, actually since coming out as being a Molinist, uh, that people have asked concerning this system. And, and first of all, the question is, Quite simply put, what is Molinism? Now, I recently wrote an article. You can check it out at Bellator Christie, uh, and, I, and I write out some of these details. But I'm going to hit just the highlights of what I covered in the article. Molinism comes from the 16th century Jesuit priest, Louis de Molina, who was trying to reconcile the very same issue which we are discussing today, and that is how does one reconcile divine sovereignty with human freedom? Now, he was uh, looking at the works of Thomas Aquinas, and I don't believe that he necessarily left Thomism. I think he took Thomism to its logical conclusion, and now Thomism comes from the writings of Thomas Aquinas. So, uh, he's a 16th century Jesuit priest who uh, says that, uh, as, as does Thomas Aquinas, that God has... Uh, two stages of knowledge, two logical um, forms of knowledge. One, natural knowledge, and this is the, uh, the things that could happen. Uh, th this is uh, that God knows the world. This is the first moment, you could call this, that he knows everything that could happen. This means that God knows all the possibilities that exist in the world that he created. Uh, he also has uh, God, uh, what's called free knowledge, and this means he knows everything that will ha will happen. God exhaustively knows all things and freely makes the choice to allow certain events to take place to go down to, to happen. Okay, And this is all under his sovereign control. But then Molina uh, adds a second moment between the first moment and the third, which he calls middle knowledge. And that is that God uh, knows everything that would happen. He knows all things which are all the possibilities which are feasible, and so he knows precisely how human beings or what human beings will choose. He knows those things that they will choose. He knows all the what's called factuals, the things that will be, and counterfactuals, the things that could have been but are not. So, in other words. Say someone is given a choice to choose chocolate ice cream or vanilla, and the person chooses chocolate ice cream. Well, the factual the factuality of that would be that the person chose chocolate ice cream. The counterfactual would be that the ch person chose uh, vanilla ice cream. Of course, since they didn't choose vanilla ice cream, that is known as a counterfactual, something that could have happened but did not happen. Okay, so basically this is how Molina argues that God sovereignly moves through uh, creation 
while allowing individuals to still have what's called libertarian free will. And that just simply means the, the ability to choose X versus Y. Okay, so... Um, this, this doesn't mean that, and we're going to get into some other questions developing this idea as we move along. So again, these three logical moments of God's knowledge are natural knowledge, the things that could happen, the potentialities, middle knowledge, what free creatures would choose given his understanding of factuals and counterfactuals, factuals, things that do happen, will happen, counterfactuals, the things that would have happened if the other choice was made. Uh, and then free knowledge, what will happen due to God's choice, due to God's sovereign working. So you can also, if you're looking for an acronym, you can also uh, denote this in five uh, letters. The, the letter ro uh, the, by the word, the acronym ROSES. Calvinists have their tulip. Molinists have their roses. Uh, R means radical depravity, that people are, uh, are depraved. They cannot save themselves. Okay, it's not as if a person can freely choose God. God is working in the person's life. Okay, so um, let me flip over here to see if I can find. Here we go. Uh, as Ken Keithley says, the old term total depravity gives the impression that fallen humanity always is as bad as it possibly can be. Radical depravity more correctly emphasizes that every aspect of our being is affected by the fall and renders us incapable of saving ourselves or even of wanting to be saved. Okay? This takes this takes the place of the T, total depravity of, of TULIP. O is overcoming grace, and this replaces irresistible grace. Uh, this overcoming grace highlights that it is God's persistence beckoning that overcomes our wicked obstinacy. Okay, that God overcomes our wicked desires. As sovereign election, this takes the place of unconditional election. Uh, sovereign election affirms that God does the salvation of all, yet accentuates that our salvation is not based on us choosing God, but on rather God choosing us. And how does this happen? It happens by his middle knowledge, because he knows what free creatures would choose. He knows how free creatures will respond it, that that comes by his middle knowledge okay so eternal life uh, takes the place of perseverance of the saints in Calvinism. Uh, the purpose of eternal life or eternal assurance is to stress that believers enjoy a transformed life that is preserved and we are given a faith which will remain. Okay, singular redemption takes the place of limited atonement, and uh, singular redemption emphasizes that Christ died sufficiently for every person. He died so that the world could be saved, although efficiently, effectively, only to those individuals who believe in Him and are saved by His grace. Okay, so um, there are a lot of more nuances that we could work through in that, but I will leave that right now because we're just giving a brief overview on this podcast. And so that's Molinism. Uh, that, that is what Molinism is. It basically says that God sovereignly moves through his, his extensive knowledge of what free creatures would choose. Okay. Now, this brings us to a second question. Does a Molinist have to believe in possible worlds? Now, Many Molinists, uh, such as William Lane Craig and many others, have, have noted that uh, uh, God created the best possible world to give as many people the best opportunity to be saved. Okay? Now, we have to understand, 
I don't think that that is a core criteria of Molinism. Now, the understanding of God's knowledge of factuals and counterfactuals is... Uh, because that works in with what we know to be middle knowledge. But we have to understand something. I, mean, I, I was talking with a friend of mine. He says, the Bible never mentions possible worlds, so, so how could this be true? We have to understand this is just simply a thought experiment. This is simply an illustration, okay, in my opinion. I, I think the whole idea of possible worlds is just illustrating the fact. It's not as if God had world A chosen, world B chosen, world C, or or, or had the options of, of to build a world A, B, C, D, and E, and then chose A to be the best one. That's not what this is saying. The whole, the whole idea of possible worlds just simply illustrates the fact that God knows uh, the circumstances that would have been best to allow to to allow the most people the opportunity to be saved, while still allowing for human freedom. Okay, so that's all that means. We don't need to build more into that than this than than this, than that is there. Uh, it's just simply stating stating that God knows factuals, the things that uh, people will choose, and counterfactuals. Uh, so again, this multiple worlds thought is just simply a thought experiment that God knows all possibilities. And that's really all that it's saying. Um, these possible worlds don't really exist, and I've even heard William Lane Craig say that. It's just a thought experiment to illustrate, or an illustration, better put, to, to, to show how middle knowledge operates. So this idea that we have to take the multiple worlds ensemble, the idea of this, and then and then that that's required to be a Molinist, that's just a misunderstanding I believe the whole uh, idea of what the Middle Worlds Ensemble is, it's not a real thing. It's just saying that God uh, has has made this world according to His will to give the most people the opportunity to respond to His grace. And um, and that's not that He is restraining. And I think another thing we have to understand is that this metal knowledge doesn't come from what... Uh, doesn't come from the choices of individuals. This comes from from within himself, and that's something that Molina emphasizes in his work uh, in the Concordia on divine foreknowledge, part four of the Concordia. So again, the whole multiple worlds ensemble is an illustration. Uh, the the core thing is we need to understand that God knows uh, completely the factuals. That is the things we will choose as opposed to the counterfactuals, the things that we will not choose. And that's really what middle knowledge is all about. Um, for instance, God knows... I mean, well, let's just think about this for a moment. Everything we choose to do holds consequences. And some of those consequences can leave a lifelong impact in our lives. For instance, consider a person who has the choice whether to steal money from a bank or not. And they, and they are really struggling with this issue about wondering whether they should steal money from a bank or not. And so they make the choice, no, I'm not going to steal money from this bank. Okay, I'm going to go out and work hard. I, I may need to find me another job. I may need to find a second job or something like that to help pay for the bills, to, pay, to help pay for the bills. But uh, I'm not going to do something like robbing a bank. We know there are consequences that come from that. It may be that the person will struggle for a little while, but in the end it may be that some wonderful things come from that person's decision. Okay? Now consider the counterfactual of that. Suppose that person had gone through robbing a bank, but say that person got caught and was thrown in jail, 
and then uh, was say they were out on bail or something like that, out on bond. But that, that that notion, that stigma that they had robbed a bank, maybe they served a jail term for so many years, and that that stigma follows them for the rest of their life. You see how our actions actually holds consequences that can even affect us and other people for the rest of our lives and for even sometimes even several generations down the future. That's the point of this. God knows the factuals, the things that people will choose, and he knows the counterfactuals. And so God is sovereignly working through these free choices uh, as he knows extensively uh, the choice that each person will make and uh, places people in circumstances uh, where uh, they can respond to his grace and um, and, and sovereignly work through situations. Now, the third question actually develops off the second, uh, some of the things that we were mentioning on the second question. Does middle knowledge restrict God's sovereignty? Okay, Is God restrained by the actions of people? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, middle knowledge intensifies our understanding of God's knowledge. It, it actually blows the roof off the limits that we may presuppose on God's knowledge. In fact, if we understand middle knowledge, I think the exact opposite is true. God, in fact, let me go back and read um, something that Molina himself wrote. And this is in his disputations, or actually in on divine foreknowledge. Uh, he, he says that um, God creates anything at all. He comprehends in himself because of the depth of his knowledge, all the things which as a result of all the secondary causes possible by virtue of his omnipotence would contingently or simply freely come to be on the hypothesis that he should will to establish these or those orders of things which, which with these or those circumstances and by the very fact that through his free will he established in being that order of things and causes which he in fact established he comprehended in his very self and in that decree of his uh, of his all the things that were in fact freely or contingently going to be or not going to be as a result of secondary causes and he comprehended this not only prior to anything's existing in time but even prior in our way of conceiving it with the basis of reality to any created things existing in the duration of eternity Okay, so what he is essentially saying is that God's middle knowledge doesn't come just from what he understands to happen in the future. God's knowledge of, of these events, God's middle knowledge comes from within himself, this complete knowledge of how he knows everything will operate and, and, and will work out. Now, does that mean that we don't really have freedom, that freedom is an illusion? Absolutely not. Because God knows exactly what free creatures would choose. Okay? Now, it may take a while for this to, to really sink in. It took a little bit for me to completely understand, um, and I don't know that I can still completely understand it, but but it, it took a while for this to really sink in and develop in my mind what this mental knowledge is. But once we understand this, we really begin to see in Scripture how this is verified. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God said that uh, he knew everything there was to know about Jeremiah, that he was going to call him to be a prophet. Well, obviously, when he called him to be a prophet, did Jeremiah have the choice to agree or disagree? Well, yeah, he did. 
But God knew the choice. You look back in uh, the book of Exodus. God told, tells Moses that I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But look at the look at how that hardening happens. God actually he he brings these judgments upon Egypt. And then Pharaoh tells Moses, Moses, pray to God that God would relinquish uh, and, and, and help us take back, have grace, have mercy upon us, take away this judgment. And God did. God extended his grace to Pharaoh. And it was then, the Bible tells us, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, that emphasizes a degree of middle knowledge. God knew what Pharaoh would freely choose and how Pharaoh would freely choose to respond to the actions that God had established uh, in, in working with uh, Pharaoh and working with Egypt. So you see, you see this panning out in Scripture, and it's not only there, it's several instances you could see this uh, taking place. And, and we'll, we'll go back and take a look at maybe some scriptural, scriptural warrants for uh, Molinism in a, in a later podcast and maybe in a later article. But uh, does middle knowledge restrict God's sovereignty? Absolutely not. In fact, I even dare say, that I think that we could even make the argument that uh, God in His sovereignty, knowing how we're going to respond in certain instances, not only, uh, and sorry folks, these clocks, I have got to remember to take the batteries out of them. They go off, it seems like every time I try to do a podcast. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, His sovereignty is, 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 is so complete that I believe He even places us in certain places at, at certain times right where we need to be. And I believe he even has us now as we are in year 2018, May 20 May 18th 2018 when we when I'm recording this podcast. He he had it planned out. He knew exactly that this was going to take place. Now does that mean that that removes our choice? No, because knowledge does not impede upon one's free choice to do this or to do that. So it, it does not restrict God's sovereignty. I think it helps us understand God's sovereignty even more. Question four, does Molinism account for the suffering in the world according to God's sovereignty? And here again, absolutely it does. Uh, in fact, God, in working with a world where free creatures exist, is, is able to um, place things together in such a way that, uh, that, that even the bad things that happen in our lives can be used to bring out great good. Okay, uh, It can be used to do great good. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, because God knows all the workings, and God knows that if by allowing this difficulty here, then there may be some good, a greater good to come out of it later on. For instance, it may be that by allowing the death of an individual, that God knows that uh, people will come to salvation, whereas they otherwise would not. Now, I've heard some people say, well, that that's not a comfort to me because I'd rather have that person. Well, you know, not being disrespectful, but I don't think you have a biblical mindset. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to say that that that, that should that, that takes that takes away the comfort or anything like that. Uh, but when we have an eternal perspective and we understand that there's really a heaven awaiting us and a hell that should be shunned, uh, it, it gives the death of our loved ones a purpose. If we just simply, I mean, what's the alternative? If the alternative is simply say, well, you know, God allowed this to happen. There's no good reason for it. Well, you know, to me that would be horrible. 
to th consider. Okay, I, d I realize that's not going to take away the pain from that person's heart. And I realize that a lot of people say this in the time of emotion, and they say this without really thinking through. But I, I go back and I go back and I've talked with individuals from overseas who have lost loved ones and lost friends and colleagues, and, and they go back and look at that and, and say, you know, if something good can come out of this, it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the sorrow that I have, but it helps me cope with knowing that God may have had a reason for allowing this to take place, to transpire. Okay? And by saying not having a biblical mindset, I, I think what I mean by that is, is I'm not trying to be crass in saying that, but I'm just saying that when we look at and we consider the truth, the veracity of the Word of God, the veracity of the spiritual things that we know about, then I think that we see that life is bigger than just us. Uh, the, the course of history is not just about us. It's about our place in God's sovereign plan. And I think that in Molinism, I think that in Molinism, we see that, that God is actually using that. And, and a question that I have had concerning this is, if God freely knew that there would be people who would reject his grace, why would God still create them? Well, it may be that by allowing the um, those individuals to exist and to um, take part in, in history, that it would be their actions that would lead other people to do even greater good than they would if they had not gone through that experience. For instance, I know an individual who had a uh, sibling that was really into drugs, and um, that person had actually said that uh, seeing all the mess that their sibling went through in engaging in that lifestyle heavily warned them away from doing anything like that themselves, and that they were warded against that lifestyle, that behavior, even more so than they would have if they had not experienced that person. So what I'm trying to simply say is this. I think that in Molinism, everything is like a piece of a puzzle. And as we go through the course of history, all of us are pieces of that puzzle that are being placed upon this grand picture that God has in all of history. And that as everything comes to be, towards the very concluding moments, those final pieces will be placed, and when we'll all look back, we're going to see the grand picture, the grand portrait that God is painting and establishing uh, through the course of human history. So, I, I don't. I, I not only do I not think that Molinism. Uh, uh, let me let me go back and say. Not only do I think that Molinism does account for the suffering in the world. I think it actually offers a better answer than other uh, theological paradigms do. And our last question for today, and I'm sure there'll be many more uh, that that will be asked. And, the, and a question that I have uh, uh, had some people ask, uh, I, I know some people may be wondering about this. This question was actually directed more towards Thomism than Molinism, but since uh, Molina was a Jesuit priest, many people may have the very same question about Molinism as they do about Thomism. Does Molinism, like Thomism, require one to be a Catholic to be a Molinist? And the answer is absolutely not. Listen, again... 
we we have to understand that you know for, even among Calvinists, among hardcore Calvinists, I, I, Baptistic Cal, Calvinists, individuals who are Calvinists and in a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, they don't agree with everything that John Calvin wrote. For instance, they don't practice pedo baptism, which means infant baptism. They don't. They don't. Uh, they don't require all of the things that Calvin did in his institutes. Okay. Quite honestly, the same is true of Armenian Baptists. Uh, there are certain things that uh, remonstrant or Armenian Armenians did uh, that uh, many Armenian Baptists don't require as well. Uh, so some Armenian Baptists, you know, some Armenians would would believe that a person can lose their salvation. Those who call themselves Armenian Baptists would uh, would not agree with that aspect of Armenianism. So, so when you when you look at these these theological systems, you find that. Uh, what a person is is gathering from the system from this from this theologian are the core fundamentals in how they develop this aspect of salvation this aspect of uh, how God works in the course of human history with with free agents and so in the course of uh, in the case of Molinism or Louis de Molina uh, here again we, we are looking at the fundamental truths that he developed in his system without requiring us to accept all of the things that he espoused in all of his theology. And so, does one have to be a Catholic to be a Molinist? Absolutely not. In fact, I use the term Baptist Molinist to describe myself, that, that, I, that I am under the umbrella of being a Baptist, but I ascribe to the theological system set forth by Louis de Molina in trying to understand how God's sovereignty operates in a world with free creatures. So I hope I hope these uh, responses uh, provide a little more insight. Obviously, if you have more questions about Molinism that weren't covered on this podcast, we do encourage you to go to the page on bellatorchristi.com where you can submit a question to Bellator Christi. Uh, go by and submit your question, and we will respond to it on a future article or podcast uh, as we are able to do so. Well, again, you've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent we'll those of BellatorChristie.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast is a production of BellatorChristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, 
Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read, one that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.
Watching This Is Liberty music video. Share it, retweet it to all your friends using hashtag This Is Liberty. Peace.